You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. I'm Claire Perini. And we all, we all, we both welcome you back, y'all back, to the Regent College Podcast. We do welcome you back to the yes. Regent College Podcast. Uh, today, you're going to listen in on, and it was going to be 10 questions, it ended up being six. Yeah. With, uh, about the questions about the New Testament, that, I mean, um... We actually just had six because the questions were deeper than what we thought. Exactly. And, and better than what we were than hoping we for. Exactly right. So we were talking with a professor of New Testament here at Regent College, Dr. George Guthrie. So he's been on the podcast before, but if you don't know him, he's from Tennessee. He used to teach at Union University in Jackson, and he's been here at Regent since 2018. And he's, he's really passionate about, uh, and he's, he would say that his calling is to help the church Leaders and lay people learn how to read the Bible well and to disciple students to live their whole lives as followers mm. of Christ. And you get that sense when we're yeah. talking to him. So he's, um, we, we threw quite a good, good number of questions yeah. at him about the fig tree, about, about, the, ten, about the story the, of the ten virgins, the story of the ten virgins, about the magi, about the shepherds, about the shepherds, and something about why would the Lord of the universe. Yeah. Need someone to prepare the way for him. Like why, Surely you why can just John, come. Yeah, John the Baptist. Why John why? the Baptist? Yeah. So we hope you enjoy our questions with George Guthrie. And George Guthrie's answers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> George, welcome back to the Regent Podcast. Well, this is just one of the most exciting parts of my year. Oh, good. I said how George guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for them to ask me again. Yeah, that's right. Um, George, what have you been doing since our last podcast conversation? Well, uh, all kinds of things. Mm. Um, this is my second year at Regent, mm-hmm. and that that's just a lot of fun to mm. be in my second year because I'm not doing all preps like I was last <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, all new. So this year has been wonderful. I, uh, I'm really enjoying just our ongoing um, attempt to get to know students and mm-hmm. to walk with students and their families. And so Pat and I have really been enjoying that. But I've also enjoyed the context and the atmosphere. It's been very stimulating mm-hmm. to some of my own research mm-hmm. and things that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. You want to tell us about any of those, or you want to do you want to tell us later on? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you about one of the Society of Biblical Literature papers I'm doing coming mm-hmm. up in about three weeks. Um, I a lot of my work has been on Hebrews through the years, mm-hmm. and um, you know, one of the exciting things to me about biblical studies is you you come to a place where you've been teaching the text for a long time, and then because of interactions you're having and and um, the kind of detailed source work that you're doing in the text, all of a sudden you start getting nudged on some of the things you thought you saw in the text, mm. and, and that starts changing a bit, which is, to me, wonderfully exciting mm. that totally. the text is so deep that I could spend 35 to 40 years of my life in this one text yeah. and still be excited about yeah. discovering new things. Yeah. So last year I, I actually had written a paper where I was responding to David Moffat mm. uh, in part on his a monograph that he's done that's very important in the world of Hebrews research. And it, it pushed me into seeing some of the language in Hebrews 5 um, as not being related to the Day of Atonement. So this year I got asked to do a 
paper for the Hebrews section at SBL. They're having a joint uh, session with the intertextuality section at SBL, mm-hmm. which is kind of Old Testament and New mm-hmm. Testament stuff. Which is SBL is, if, for those who aren't in the academic world, it's mm-hmm. the Society for Biblical Yes, yeah, Society Literature. of Biblical Literature. Mm-hmm. And it's the big Thank professional you, meeting. Oh, I was lost. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. All, all, all the acronyms. Acronyms, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A kind of code language yeah, that's right, to yeah. our secret society. Yeah. Uh, now, so George, um, today Octavio's come up with uh, 10 questions. More, but yeah, ten questions today. Yeah, somewhat random, not totally random. Yeah, but just different thoughts and ideas from the gospels. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're just gonna go. No, yeah, you want to talk and, about and, your questions? I want to thank you for saying, yeah, I can do that because <laughs> it was like you know, just just so many questions about the New Testament. In this case, it's New Testament. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, New Testament. So uh, we're like, who can do this? Who can who can be up to <laughs> asking you know all sorts of questions from all around the New Testament? I think the first thing that popped into my head, George, George Guthrie. <laughs> so I asked well. him, and he's like, "Yep, I got it. I can take it." So I'm, I'm very thankful you were willing to. Well, the, the great thing is that these are a bunch of questions, so I can be very brief and just share the little bit of knowledge yeah, that I yeah, actually do right. have. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so if we got much farther than that, we might be in trouble. Yeah, that's no. right. That's but right. With my colleague Miriam. Yeah. She could also do this. Oh, yes, right. which she be like she in part two of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We spoke to her. Or why don't we just ask her the same questions and see if they say Absol- the same thing? Absolutely. Like, oh, that would, that would George be said fun. something yeah. totally some, different. Some, some, yeah, something <laughs> you know, And on some of these things, I mean, these are some of these are outside of my you know, normal place. Yeah. So I'll, I'll share your thoughts and you tell me what you think. Right. Claire, you can correct yeah, right. me. Yeah. Yeah. Claire has her Bible. I've got my Bible here so I can just cross-reference a few Some questions might actually be outside of human capacity of of yeah. knowledge or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Let's okay. see what happens. Shall I start? Yes, go. Okay, George. Why did the Son of God actually need someone, as in John the Baptist, to prepare the way for him? He's the Son of God. Yeah, exactly. Why does he need, why does he need someone to prepare the way? Great question. <laughs> Glad you asked. Um, yeah, when you start out the Gospels, I mean, each of the Gospels starts with this theme. Um, and what they're actually doing is they're, they're pointing back to a very, very important passage in uh, the Old Testament, which is Isaiah 40. Mm-hmm. So in Isaiah 40, or Isaiah 40, as my Isaiah. British friends yeah, would right. say, <laughs> um, you have this turning in... Uh, in Isaiah, that is is moving to what God is going to do to bring renewal in the eschatological kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the age. Our friend Ricky Watts, mm-hmm. who um, still associates with us and, and mm. has been here, has done a lot of writing mm-hmm. on this, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in relation to the Gospel of mm-hmm. Mark. So if you look at Isaiah 40, um, then you have this this wonderful passage, as we come up to Christmas, you might think of, of the Messiah, you know, mm-hmm. in some of the language here. But comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over, her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, mm-hmm. prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight uh, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Mm. So here you have this this prophetic word that says there's going to be a time that God is going to initiate a new thing in mm. the world, and it is going to be marked in part by this voice mm-hmm. 
uh, speaking in the wilderness. And you combine that with other passages like uh, Malachi 3, you know, the coming one mm. uh, is going to come and prepare the way and, and that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the imagery in Isaiah is when a king was coming to town, you did not want the king to be upset with you when he got to your town. Right. So as, as the king's coming in on his chariot or whatever, he's hitting um, uh, potholes mm. uh-huh. and road bumps yeah. and rocks and things like that. And he's getting jarred. Have you ever been, been going to work and you start hitting uh-huh. oh, potholes? Yeah, yeah. So and, annoying. And, and all of a sudden you, you hit you hit one of those and <laughs> yeah. you're kind of put in a bad mood yeah. before yeah. you ever get to work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You didn't want the king to no, be in a bad mood when he came to your mm. town. So, uh, so what you would do is you would go out and you would smooth out the road as a as a mm. kind of a uh-huh. vision of respect and preparation and you would cut down the speed bumps and you would fill in the potholes so that the road was very very smooth mm. in preparation for the king coming to town mm-hmm. but the language of Isaiah is this is cosmic level mm-hmm. so the so the potholes are valleys uh-huh. and the speed bumps are mountains because the king that's coming to town is god uh-huh yeah and so so the language here is clearly that it is the Lord God who yeah. is coming to uh-huh. town, and we need to prepare the way for his coming. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in part, what you have built into the beginning of the Gospels is, is really a kind of an inherent con- confession that, that Jesus is, is God. He is embodying mm-hmm. the presence of God, mm. and that this is a new thing that God is doing in the world. That's so Okay, that was good. so beautiful. <laughs> Shut up. That was great. That was good. Okay, so we're finished, right? We're going to stop right there. We should have finished with that question. They're like, yeah. yep, that yeah. was beautiful. No, so many, oh. so many times in the New Testament, um, you, you get clarity by what's going on when you start tuning in to how saturated they were in the mm. scriptures. Mm. In fact, the, the next couple of questions we're going to talk about, too, uh, are similar, so mm-hmm. we might yeah. want to. So, so the, going back to this question, it's basically not that he needed somebody, but it's pointed to okay, a king is coming. Yeah, and a p- particular type. Of yeah, and not, not that he needed somebody, but like yeah. it's, yeah. it's saying yeah. this is a king. Well, thus we prepare a way. And, for and the one other thing that we might say there is, in what sense preparation? What it was yeah. John doing? Well, John is is preaching a baptism of repentance. Mm-hmm. So, in in a sense, what John is doing is he is. Um, preparing the hearts of people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the idea biblically is that as we sin, as we turn away from God, our hearts are hearts of stone. Mm. They get hard. In mm. fact, I, I can remember my, my wife with our, our little girl, um, you know, using this illustration of she would have a rock in one hand and Play-Doh in the other mm. and say to, say to Anna, say, now, Anna, what's the condition of your heart right now? Is it, mm. is it oh. like a rock uh-huh. or is it like Play-Doh? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and there's, a, there's kind of this biblical idea yeah. that our hearts, as we turn away from God, our hearts are, are hard like rock and stone. So what John was doing was he was bringing people through his preaching mm-hmm. to a soft-hearted place where they would be ready to mm-hmm. hear mm-hmm. Uh, the preaching of the mm-hmm. kingdom that Jesus mm-hmm. would bring. Yeah. So he's yeah. preparing really the road to people's hearts in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the Magi... In Matthew, mm, yeah. Um, why why is that story important, and why did Matthew decide to include that as part of the Jesus is coming into the world? Yeah, narrative? yeah. Why were why magi? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember 
like different places in the in the Bible will all of a sudden just magi from a different country just like oh come and I don't it feels like so different to the rest of 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 the story or mm. yeah. like I mean not, now it's like well known and we do it every Christmas so it's not mm. but in the context of of it of 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 the gospel in in the New Testament like magi yeah being guided by star yeah and and somehow that was important yeah. to 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 the to the bible uh, yeah. author I'll be like why so it's still sure. on yeah there there there's a discussion here um are these people from you had a very large jewish community over in mesopotamia you know tigris euphrates mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. general area over there so you had about a million jews uh if i'm remembering correctly kind of over in that area. So are they somehow connected to that community? I think most would see these as Gentiles, which mm -hmm. is really interesting. Um, culturally, um, you do have occasions where, like when Augustus was born, mm -hmm. Caesar, mm -hmm. you know, you have these kind of stories that this was uh, shown in the heavens in some way, mm -hmm. uh, that you had these foreigners come and, and proclaim, you know, they'd seen these visions and, and all of this kind of stuff. So there may be some background there that, that, the, the, that Matthew um, is actually um, kind of showing that, no, the real Caesar yeah. has come. Again, it's and, that and, cosmic. And kind of the cosmic, yeah. mm -hmm. kind of, you know, this King, is bigger yeah. than just yeah. what's going on in yeah. this little strip of yeah. land that's mm -hmm. really not that big. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the other thing, again, I would say that is really important is kind of uh, some of the Old Testament backdrop. And, you know, we talked in the last question about God was going to bring this new thing in the world. And, and part of what the eschatological kingdom will involve, and Isaiah is all over this, you know, from this point on to the end of, of Isaiah, is that it's not just about the Jewish people. It's the Jewish people as a doorway mm -hmm. into uh, the whole world being blessed. You know, you go back mm -hmm. to the promise to Abraham in Genesis mm -hmm. 12 that, that it is through you that mm -hmm. all the nations of the world will be blessed. Yeah. And you have that, you have that motif, that, th that theme, that thread, really kind of threading its way through, throughout the Old Testament. And it, it comes to a beautiful... Uh, kind of focus in this whole section of Isaiah that God's ultimate intention was to bless his people, but to bless his people as a means of being bless, blessings to mm -hmm. uh, the whole world. And I think, I think it comes in here. So, for instance, um, there's this passage in Isaiah, uh, beginning in, at the end of Isaiah 59 and moving into Isaiah 60, but you have, and it's a little harder to hear in the English text, um, but verse 19 of Isaiah 59 says, They will fear the name of the Lord in the west and his glory in the east. Mm -hmm. So think about the Magi are coming. coming from the east. They're from coming the from yeah. the east. And, and you, you kind of go on down and, and you read words like this at the beginning of 60. Arise, shine, mm -hmm. for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord shines over you. Think about the star mm -hmm. shining over the Magi. Uh, for look, darkness will cover the earth and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear over you. And think about them having the star appear over them. And then get this, as you read on down, um, this, is, this is what it says that these people are going to bring as they, um, as they come to, uh, to the Lord's kingdom. And I, this is my... 
this is another Bible that I just kind of picked up. So let me see if I can find the, uh, oh, here it is. Okay. So it says, caravans of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephath. All of them will come from Sheba, and they will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. So think about the Magi coming, mm-hmm. and what do they bring? They bring gold, gold and frankincense yeah. and myrrh, and they all, mm. you know, mm. bow down and they worship the child. Mm. Yeah. You know, so so you yeah. have this you have this kind of rich imagery that's going mm-hmm. on in the background yeah. here. Yeah. So why why include it in the gospel story? That you know that was your your basic yeah. question. Well, because as as oriented to kind of the rich Jewish background. Uh, that Matthew is, scholars would say, kind of Matthean scholars would say, that you also, from the beginning, you have this kind of integration of what God is ultimately going to do in reaching out and expanding this thing mm-hmm. to us, yeah. to those of us who are not ethnically Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not kind of replacing the Jewish yeah. nation. It's that we're all taken up together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. as Paul would say, we we as Gentiles were grafted, grafted in. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's it's all, you know, we're all becoming the people of the Lord in the new covenant, mm-hmm. and all the old. What I, the way I would say it is that all of the old aspects of the old covenant, the different covenants of of the Old Testament, are taken up into the new covenant and fulfilled in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think I think what we see here is a stamp right here in the beginning of Matthew that says God's up to huge things in the world mm-hmm. and, yep. and it's going to start with the Jewish people and expand huh. out actually to a blessing mm-hmm. to the whole world in Christ. Yeah. The link with the New Testament just it just brings all the light that was needed for the oh, 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 like <laughs> Isaiah 60. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that too. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's real fun to teach this stuff too, yeah. you know, cause, because when you start making the connections, um, boy, it just, it really does help. Mm-hmm. Richard Hayes, I'm teaching an advanced seminar called, um, I call it Reverberation of Scripture in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, and we're using Richard Hayes's book on echoes mm. of Scripture, um, you know, in the Gospels. And uh, man, there's so many places where all of a sudden you, when it's tied to what's being alluded to, yeah, you go, oh, that makes yeah. that makes great yeah. sense. Yeah, it does. It like it does. It has this fullness. It like as you say, there is this fullness that then you start to experience. Like right, it, oh, like there's the penny drop moment. Right. When you're like, yeah. Oh yeah, that. That makes sense of yeah, the fullness yeah. of what I understand that Jesus is doing. Yeah, right. Because I actually, I actually heard people try and explain this passage. Mm. I mean, of course, they didn't mention Isaiah. They didn't even mention the, the Old Testament. They would try and explain, okay, Magi from the East. What part of the East? What kind of people were they? Were they actually Magi? Were they no. actually a, a, a astrologists? Mm. And they'd explain it with as, as well as they could, sure. but with zero connection or looking yeah. back to the, to the Old Testament or to yeah. a, or any of the prophets. Yeah, this thing that is, strikes me about this is um, it's obvious that that our writers of the New Testament were so saturated mm. with the Old Testament mm-hmm. text because remember they're having to access scrolls normally mm. uh, scrolls that have no chapter and verse divisions yeah. scrolls that have no spaces between the words so think about accessing uh-huh. Isaiah and and it's just it's just a whole yeah. scroll yeah. you know or maybe two or a couple of scrolls uh, where you have yeah. You have no markings of where you are. Yeah. 
you know. He's got to read and, the whole thing all, all yeah. the time. Like, yeah. yeah so I want to go to Isaiah 60. <laughs> yeah. That, that wasn't a thing. So it, yeah. just, so it just tells you that, that as a uh, culture that was orally oriented to the scriptures, they heard it. They, they knew the scriptures extremely well yeah. because part of the assumption here is that, that the readers or listeners would actually be able to pick up some of these clues. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So good. Okay, question number three. Why was it important that some random shepherds, okay, it was, it was still in, in the... We're still you know, in Matthew. We're still, we're getting, still in, the, closer, in the early, yeah. Getting close to Christmas, you know, yeah. got to do this. <laughs> okay, again, why was it important that some random shepherds witness the birth of Jesus to the point that a host of angels would appear to them to compel them to go. Okay, one is magic, okay. But why <laughs> shepherds? <laughs> Just like random shepherds. Are they wait, are they in Isaiah as well? I mean that's what I that's everything else is being in Isaiah. Are the shepherds in Isaiah as well? Um Isaiah actually Isaiah Isaiah yeah, Isaiah. <laughs> it, it, it blows my mind though, like why would shepherds go? Yeah. Why was what was that important? Yeah, I will say something about Isaiah uh, <laughs> okay, with, with, with them too. <laughs> yeah. but, but let me say first of all, uh, you know, when you when you think about, um, if you think about that the Magi as being people, obviously who were people who were fairly wealthy, had yeah. means. We don't know how many there were, by the way. Mm. Um, you know, if you stop oh, and think no. about that, I, I actually break was, my heart. I was teaching. Mr. I was Godfrey. teaching this. Uh, Years ago, and this woman came up afterwards, after I was teaching on kind of the relationship between Luke and Matthew's uh, nativity uh, material, and she was saying, you ruined my nativity scenes. There've got to be three. I only have three, you know. Yeah. But, but actually, the text doesn't tell no. us. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't tell us. Um, but, but what you're seeing there is you move all the way from people who are wealthy, who are world travelers, who have means, mm. to, to, to literally the lowest of uh, the low in, in some yeah. ways, people uh, in the land of Israel at this time, if you had a stinky occupation, then you were by definition of, of the of the low class. Uh-huh. You know, it, a stinky, you were a stinky okay. something that that involved yeah. a lot of smell. I mean, yeah. think about it. You know, so you, the people who got to do that, where they come home and they just smell bad. Um, yeah. You know, they mm. they get the jobs that are more in the dregs and that kind of thing. So shepherds shepherds were of, of just a poorer class. They were mm. they were lower mm. class in yeah. that sense. Um, and so you have a you have a breadth of, of who's who's actually making it into the story here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the wonderful things that's distinct about the gospels from all of other ancient literature is you have people treated as significant characters in the story who who people pay attention to for one reason or another mm-hmm. who just don't show up mm-hmm. generally speaking in yeah. ancient literature because they're just kind of normal yeah, they're exactly. normal people but it says something about the nature of the gospel mm. right so uh, that being said you you also do have wonderful old testament backdrops here like again Isaiah 45 is is uh, and the glory of the lord will appear so you have mm-hmm. a manifestation of god's presence by his glory appearing uh, you think of Habakkuk 2.14, um, and the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Mm. So you have this kind of part of the eschatological coming is you have glory breaking in. And this the glory idea is is an apocalyptic kind of image. Mm. And, and what we mean by that, apocalyptic is not just about the end of time. Uh, apocalyptic is really about the breaking of heaven into earth. Mm. So think about uh, Paul on the Damascus Road. Mm-hmm. What happens? He gets knocked to the ground. You yeah. have bright light. Uh, that's that's apocalyptic yeah. because what's happening is God, who's who is the Lord of this creation, 
is breaking in mm-hmm. to do something. Yeah. So the image of, of you know the glory of the Lord, these angelic beings breaking in, mm. it's it's a it's a big signal. You know, it's a signpost that says, "Wow, obviously something amazingly unusual is going on here," mm. and um, and they're appearing to these shepherds. I think in part. Uh, because of this this social thing, the upside down nature of the gospel, uh, you think about the Magnificat uh, mm-hmm. that the those who are in the highest places are going to be brought low, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and those who are low are going to be mm-hmm. exalted. And so here's a a picture of the lowly being exalted. But you also have this imagery of the shepherds in the Old Testament. So like in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the shepherd imagery is of the bad leaders of Israel, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. set over against the Lord God as mm-hmm. the true shepherd. Mm-hmm. And you think mm-hmm. of imagery like um, Psalm 23 and other yeah. places that the Lord, the Lord is the good shepherd, John yeah. 10. Um, and so so I think it's picking up on um, the shepherd type of imagery. Jesus is born where? What town is Jesus born in? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, mm-hmm. which is the city of David, mm-hmm. who was a shepherd, shepherd, you know, mm-hmm. a king shepherd. Mm-hmm. So here we have have the king shepherd coming to town in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so so a lot of this imagery, I think, is um, is kind of all weaving together to say that that again, God is doing a new thing. He's bring bringing the true kind of leader mm. over against the type of leader that you have mm. uh, in the Old Testament. Mm. Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something important to say. This podcast is a ministry of Regent College and relies on the support of generous donors. If you've enjoyed our conversation today or any other day, please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-R-G-N. <laughs> How do you say R? Ah. Ah. R. Okay, let me do that again. Ah. Ah. G. R. Please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R G N T dot net slash give. Now, if you really want to make our day, when you donate, there's a comment box. Please leave a note saying that the podcast sent you. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay. So let's think about um, the, those, those folks in the Gospels that we read that were, that were demon-possessed. Mm-hmm. Are they wrongly diagnosed by the authors? Mm. Like so in other words, authors that quote unquote there? didn't know better. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. now that we are at the pinnacle of of, of, uh, hi- of hi- yeah. history, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. Can we can, can we kind of judge yeah. this as uh, exactly being whatever? Yeah, being, yeah. I mean, you you do have. Let me just say first that that you do have um, certain uh, illnesses um, 
where Jesus, you know, Jesus comes down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, and you have a, a child who who seems to be what we would think of as epileptic, mm-hmm. right? So, so let's just say first of all that that for people in the ancient world, physical illness and the demonic powers, all of that kind of stuff, kind of went it's together. All yeah. It's all linked together, mm-hmm. which which is interesting when you think about the fact that even in our modern world. Yeah. Um, you know, science would tell us that a lot of illnesses are are related to emotional, yeah. spiritual kind of conditions. It's the holistic, it's yeah, the holistic, yeah, totally. holistic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so we could say that uh, you know that may be part of what's going on that's bound up in it. That Jesus is uh, is working in that context to heal people. I mean, he, you know, part of the thing um, that you see in the Gospels is. It's what Jesus is doing is kind of counter everybody's expectation. So it's not like they were primitive people; they were mm-hmm. just used to people being healed of blindness, yeah. and they're all going, "Well, of course this happens yeah. because we're primitive people. We yeah. believe in this kind of stuff." <laughs> yeah. No, what you so what you have in the Gospels is uh, this this refrain that says, "You know, we've never seen anything yeah. like this before." Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus is doing stuff that's just not ex- explicable by even of the time, you know, what they would have nor- yeah, they seen was, as normal. They were as amazed. They, yeah. Were, yeah. they were absolutely yeah. caught off guard and amazed mm-hmm. by what was going mm-hmm. on. Uh, but then the other thing that you have in, in the uh, demonic stories is you have this, this element of what we might call clairvoyance. Mm. So mm-hmm. at times, the demons are the only people in the room who really know who Jesus is. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so, so that is clairvoyance. That's clairvoyance. So, okay. so in other words, this demonic person has knowledge about Jesus that could only be had if there was something else going on mm-hmm. besides that person's knowledge, okay. right? So um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a corresponding kind of thing from, from the modern world, and I'm not saying that I, I you know, know that this happened or was true. It's just an example. Yeah. So uh, you've heard of Shirley MacLaine, the actress? Mm-hmm. So Shirley MacLaine uh, is a big kind of new age person. She was from, especially years ago, mm-hmm. you know, my generation would know who Shirley <laughs> MacLaine is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. But she was an actress, and okay. but, but got really into the new age movement and spirit, spiritism and all of this kind of okay. stuff. And the reason why, my understanding is the reason why she said that she converted to this, to this spiritism and all this stuff, is she had this guy who was a medium mm-hmm. come to her house, and he he stood there in her living room and said, I know that behind that picture right there, you have a safe. And I know behind this thing over here, you have this other thing going on. And he told her all these things uh-huh. about the inside of her house that he'd never been in her house before, but he, he was able to point out all these things. So uh-huh. Shirley MacLaine said, well, that's why I believe. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's because here's, here was hard evidence right. that you had some kind of spiritual dynamic going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the thing that you have at points in the Gospels is you have the, the spirits um, actually you know, recognizing who Mm. Jesus is and identifying him. And you have that into Acts as well. You know, that uh, you have this this funny moment where you have these these, uh, exorcists kind of casting demons out of of people, and they get to this really bad, nasty demon, you know, Mm. and they say, you know, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, and they in essence say, "Well, we know Jesus, and we know Paul, but we don't know you." And then you know they jump on him and beat him up and drive him out of the house. Um, So, so I think. I think this is an element that is not explicable mm. by just kind of rational, you know, how can we rationalize this way based on our, our modern yes. kind of thing? 
I've, I've actually in ministering in the church in China, uh, and I was with a group of, of believers from Western China, and they see a lot of miraculous things taking mm-hmm. place there. These are down to earth people of integrity. They're they're very you know they're not trying to pull anything over on anybody. And one of the sisters was telling me she said she went to a village and. Uh, you know, the people in the village were saying, now, that's the demon people's house over there, and you need to go deal with the demon people. And she said, you know, I didn't want to go deal with the demon the people. Demon people. <laughs> the demon people. Okay. Yeah. And she said when she went to the house, she, uh, you know, the door opened, and the uh, father came to the door and said, I was driven out of America. This is a little village in western China. said, I was driven out of America, but if you won't bother me, we won't bother you. And uh, and she she cast the demons out of wow. all the people in the house. I mean, they they had yeah. altars to spirits set up all oh. around the inside of their living room and that kind of thing. Now, to those of us in the West, you know, who grew up in a scientific mindset yeah. and all this kind of stuff, that it's like do 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 do. You know, you got to go. Uh, oh, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So you're you know, but but when you when you experience the church more broadly, I mean, I've I've seen this yeah, totally. in Israel. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I know a guy there who who came to Christ and God's using him in amazing mm-hmm. ways, and uh, he he kind of um, was called by God to go and confront the witch who was the main medium for the mafia in Israel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he he cast the demons out of her. So so you know we can from our kind of Western uh, arrogance and kind of a you know our hegemony of mm. you know we are the ones who have the right perspective on the world mm. we can kind of we can kind of look at the gospels or even look at other places in the world where this stuff is going on and say oh well we know that that's all just to, you can explain that away mm. but i think what the gospels are saying is that there's another uh realm of power out there in the world and um and it's not explained. You can't simply explain it away. No. Uh-huh. Now, you can fall in that ditch on one side or the other. Sure, you can either yeah. be a naturalist on one side of the ditch, or you can kind of fall in the ditch on the other side where you become intrigued, and there's a demon behind every bush and, mm. and all of that mm. kind of weird stuff, and you get off. You know, you're not being biblical there either. But I think, I think that what we would say is, no, there, there really is a spiritual mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. that... that that matters, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and we want to think biblically about how to approach that and mm-hmm. think about it, mm-hmm. and and not kind of get sucked into weird, you know, stuff that we don't need to be messing with. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If I push this a little bit more, you would you would agree then when the Bible says there was a demon, then there was a demon. Like in, like in no circumstance uh, did they got get, get confused with epilepsy or with when. Yeah, I mean, again, I would say that sometimes those things are integrated. Uh, so it's not that I wouldn't say mm. the child didn't have epilepsy. Uh-huh. You know, it may be that the child had mm. epilepsy, uh, but but if if the New Testament writers are reading this, and especially mm. if Jesus is reading the situation yeah. as yeah, as de- yeah. you know as demonic or whatever, then I I, I just think it's a, a a point of arrogance for us to say, well, that couldn't be, mm. you know, mm. that that kind of thing. Um, because again, you know, I, I, I think that, um, we have a perspective yeah. based on when and where we live in the world. And, um, again, there are ways that you can get off into, into weird stuff that's not helpful, yeah. you know, with all this. Like I've seen people get intrigued with the demonic and get focused on that and it actually becomes spiritually damaging, mm. you know. Yeah. Yep. So I'm not saying that, that we need to get, get lost in that, mm. but, but I think the I think the other side of it is to just discount um all of these kind of dynamics as as 
you know, things. So, for instance, I believe that there is such a thing as mental illness, you know, mm. that people, mm. we need mm. people who are professionals who deal with all of these kind of things. We don't want to see mm. mental illness as, as, you know, demonic yeah. and, and all that kind of thing. But, but there are times when you have spiritual dynamics yeah. going on that are spiritual powers involved in what is going on from the yeah. biblical perspective yeah. that I think we need, to, we need to think through, okay, so what is a biblical approach yeah. to this? And as you say, if Jesus is treating it as a demon... And that's that's you can see like it's it's not it's there the diagnosis thing is then less of the issue in terms of mm-hmm. is it a mental illness or is it something right. we would diagnose medically? It's like Jesus is treating it as a spiritual situation, situation, yeah. and is addressing it in that way. So in that sense, uh, that kind of um, settles it. Well, it doesn't necessarily settle it, but it does add that. It's kind of like you know, yeah. if he's seeing it yeah, as demonic, think about then, that, yeah. 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 I think yeah. I think there's a hermeneutical humility that we need. Yeah, where whichever culture we're you know we're coming yeah, from. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and I think I think that that is that is part mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've come I come from South South America. Yeah. So a lot of demon possessed people getting free down there, right? Mm. So that's <laughs> I've seen it. I've, I have friends. I mean, they've been down there. Yeah, down there, right on the south. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, for me, like I have no issue because I've seen it, and I know I have friends that were like yeah, like yeah. delivered, and like they were like instantly. Uh, new people, yeah, right. like they were no longer tormented, no longer had had voices, no longer like things would move in the house, not yeah, anymore. Right. R- right. Just right after that point, so I have no problem. But I do have a lot of people and, and friends that say like, no, and, and of course they, the things like they haven't seen, they haven't experienced this at all. Right. So it doesn't make sense for them at all. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's hard. But just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's you know, exactly. Just because it, yeah. it doesn't mean it's not true. I mean another uh, people might want to take a look at um, something like Craig Keener's. Craig Keener has two volumes on miracles. Mm. My mm. friend, my friend Craig Keener is amazing. He he was writing the longest commentary in the world on the book of Acts and in the middle couldn't find a really good book on miracles so he just stopped and wrote a two volume <laughs> work that's uh. like the best book on miracles in the history of the church yeah. uh, but what he did is he he looked at kind of the ancient world uh, in terms of miracles and he's, he's one of the best backgrounds people we have in the New Testament oh. and then he did a volume on miracles in the modern world Yeah. and he showed how you know you have these things that are verifiable in many other cultures yeah. of the world that are supernatural kind of, yeah. of, of things just like we see in the Bible um, and at times are affirmed by people who are not Christians. You know, they're, mm. they're there and they, they're witness to these things that are incontrovertible mm. in, the, in the context. So he's done that kind of work, you know, and mm-hmm. showing that you have this type of thing. And the exciting thing is that God is still moving in the world. Mm. So yeah. you, you, uh, you know, I, I think you see uh, places in the world where, you know, People, for instance, in Arab contexts are having dreams uh, about Jesus yeah. and uh, all kinds of amazing things. But especially for me, as I've gotten out and taught in other parts of the world, you're confronted with some of this stuff. And your own kind of naturalistic bias, biases mm. start yeah. start getting totally. yeah, pressure yeah. put on them yeah. in a good way. Yeah, totally. Okay, let's go to the next question. Okay. So we're going to be here till tomorrow, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> We've got 15 so minutes. Money, you okay, so we're just going to do as many questions You're as we can. Okay. Okay. This one, this Is one there are... any that you're desperate to ask? Then skip. Yeah. This one, the virgins. <laughs> yeah. What? What are you talking about? Yeah. The 10 virgins? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Uh, so could you please help us understand the historical or cultural context so that we, and when I say we, I, I, I mean you, I, when yeah. I can make sense or some sense out of the parable of the 10 virgins in Matthew 25. You know, the ten virgins waiting yeah. for the groomsmen 
and like ones have oil like five of them have have enough oil for the night for the lamps and half of them don't have enough right mm. so the they hear like the bridegroom's coming bridegroom yeah, yeah. no yeah. that'll be in Spanish. Yeah. It's coming, and like oh, we don't have enough. Can you can you give us some? No, you 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 gotta get uh, the oil uh, for yourself. So they went back, and the and the groomsman is gone. Then they go and find him. Like no, you cannot come in. And like why ten virgins? Why is the groomsman uh, coming <laughs> at night to pick them up? It's so going odd, on? right? <laughs> Wasn't your wedding like this? <laughs> no, not mine. Okay. Mine was more traditional. Okay. Not, not. We didn't have the virgins. <laughs> what? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. <laughs> okay, I'll answer okay. that question. Let's go Let's back to the question. We have <laughs> ten yeah. virgins. What I'm saying. Uh, okay. <coughs> okay. Uh, all right. Let me see if I can kind of rescue this moment. Yeah, that's um, right. Please redeem us all. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we're so we're in Matthew 25. Yes. Right? And. Um, the context, the context, first of all, and in, in kind of the point of what Jesus is doing, is this is about being ready. When, yes. when, when Jesus returns, you know, he, he's talking about, about readiness. So if you look in general, big picture in terms of when Jesus teaches about, I'm coming again, there, there are three main teachings on that in the New Testament. One is, it's, it's going to happen. Number two, nobody knows when it's going to mm-hmm. happen. Number three, you better be ready when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so so that's kind of the that, that's kind of the the summary of of the context of what this is all about. So in rabbinic teaching, when they talked about this kind of readiness theme, they were talking about being ready for death. Mm. Um, so this kind of readiness theme is a common Jewish thing. You you need to be ready mm-hmm. for what's going to happen, but specifically for Jesus, it's it's being ready for his second coming. And so when the rabbis were teaching about being ready for death, they contrast the wise and the foolish, which is what Jesus is doing here. Mm-hmm. So, so the virgins end up being um, a parable, a word picture mm. of wise over against foolish mm. people. And, and you're, you're right. I mean, the, the cultural backdrop of weddings at the time is really how to understand this. So let me just kind of pa- unpack that yeah, just please. a little bit. All right, so weddings uh, at that time, you'd have a wedding processional, processional and uh, the wedding procession would normally happen at night. Why? Okay, I mean, okay. well, it was because, you know, it was, it was the time of celebration. So mm-hmm. nighttime was, was uh, one of the key times that you had celebrations because normally people went to bed when the sun went down. Mm. You didn't have great lighting in houses. Uh-huh. So, so it was special. You know how, did you ever, yeah. did your parents ever let you stay up late when you were yeah. a kid? Yeah. So that's what this is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we all get to stay up late tonight and party. Okay. So, um, so they would have it at night and it would normally move from the bride's home to the groom's home. So, okay. so you would have, um, the bride escorted by this whole processional to the groom's home. And then at the right time, the groom would come show up and you would have uh, this, this party, you know, mm. this huge celebration. Uh-huh. So what we're seeing here is, um, is kind of this image of the processional. And it's gotten to the point where um, the virgins have kind of come. They're preparing for their friend, the bride. Mm to receive her husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are probably not, you know, you've probably seen the little oil lamps yeah. that 
we think of when we think of lamps in the land of Israel uh, in the first century. But but these probably are torches. So this is think okay. of an outside processional, not with little mm. bitty oil yeah, yeah, lamps, yeah. but but probably uh, torches. It like may be that on if a stick it's kind of yeah, it may <laughs> it may be that um, if this is a poorer situation, you would have sticks with mm. with oil rags wrapped mm-hmm. around them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So. That kind of oil rag might burn out in 15 minutes. So the key was to Uh have enough oil Mm. to kind of keep this celebration going. And the light, yeah. Uh, And Mm. so what has happened is you have half of the virgins who are ready. And and what are they ready for? Well, they're ready to to put on just a bang-on celebration for Mm -hmm. their friend, the bride. Mm Mm-hmm. And and to to enter into this moment in a way that everybody's gathering around saying this this is the most important moment in these people's lives, and and so the imagery is the the virgins who are not ready, haven't even put enough thought into the situation that they have extra oil with them to mm. kind of to kind of be there when mm. it's time for the celebration to really happen. Mm. So that's the word picture. So what's happened is you have half of the people who they they haven't evidently haven't put much thought into the situation they haven't prepared for the celebration mm-hmm. that is going to take place and therefore they don't get to participate mm. so so imagine it's like it's like if if you have a a modern wedding where you come to the pinnacle moment of the wedding and and half the lights in the room go out and the music stops because mm. the electricity has mm. gone off and stuff mm. like that how all of a sudden yeah. it's a downer, Such a downer. because yeah. it's it's the time that should be the mm. pinnacle moment of the wedding. You you have somebody who hasn't done what they needed to do to to really facilitate the celebration. Mm. So it's it's not so much about well, wasn't that unfair? Shouldn't they have been kind and shared? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the point. The point is that these guys were ready. They if they shared their oil with the others, they might not have had enough for the right. moment when their friend needed them right. to, to join in the celebration. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it turns into a word picture of have you thought ahead? Are you placing value mm. in this coming mm. moment in a way that, that you're going to be ready for it? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the foolish people are the people who haven't given enough thought, haven't made preparation, mm-hmm. and, and that's really where the word picture goes. Mm-hmm. So, so for those people who would just kind of blow – you know, kind of blow off the um, the second coming, not think about it much. They're not really doing anything in their lives to prepare mm-hmm. for Jesus' coming. Jesus would say, you know, that's really foolish. Mm. That's really foolish because there is, there's coming a, there's coming a wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a, an awesome, wonderful celebration mm-hmm. for those who are prepared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense yeah. of it? Yeah. It does, yeah. Do we have time for one more question? What time is it? Yeah, we've got time for one more question. Okay. I think. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree in Mark 11? Yeah. Tell us. You know, pe- people really do have a hard time with this. I, yeah. I, was, I was looking at a quote from this, this one secular uh, scholar who, uh, he, he, in his book on, you know, why he's not a Christian, one of his main points was, uh, when you see Jesus curse this innocent tree, Shut up. Then, uh, then it just... Uh, you know, there's nothing about this that that shows character or depth or uh-huh. virtue or any of that kind of stuff. And like so, spoiled brat. So, yeah, yeah. Like uh-huh. here, Jesus has a temper tantrum and and curses the, uh-huh. the fig tree. Um, yeah. So Mark 11, you have this. You do have this very interesting uh, passage because it's the only time that Jesus ever does a destructive miracle. 
Mm. Ooh. If you stop and think about it, mm-hmm. you know, he's not, he's not healing somebody. He's uh-huh. not doing something that's constructive. He's doing something that's destructive. Well, showing off. And, huh. and it seems intemperate. I mean, it does seem out of character in the sense that Jesus is going and, mm. you know, when, again, what, uh, kind of a, a, another uh, secular biblical scholar was kind of raising the question, you know, why didn't Jesus just make the fig tree produce figs. I mean, uh, uh-huh. if, if, you know, so what's going on? So you really do need to understand that that what is going on here is is a prophetic symbol. Okay, so mm-hmm. think think back to the... Isaiah. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> actually, <laughs> at this point, I was thinking about Jeremiah. Okay. Jeremiah, oh, so, it was so close. So, so you know how, how the prophets at times mm. would suddenly act something out yeah. that was a coming judgment, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. it's digging through the wall yep. yeah, and, and carrying their down, luggage yeah. through the wall or laying down in the yeah. mud and, and, you know, that kind of thing. So, so this is in that line. Uh, this, is, this is Jesus doing a symbolic action, and it, it needs to be read in tandem with Jesus' temple action, you know, where Jesus goes in, we, t- we traditionally call it the cleansing of the temple, yeah. you know, where he goes in and he drives people out of the temple. Uh, because what Mark does is Mark starts the story in Mark 11, uh, really 12 through 14 is the first part of the fig tree, where Jesus sees the fig tree, it has leaves, he goes to see what's there, it doesn't have any figs on it, and he, and he curses the tree. Then you have him going to the temple itself, he comes back into mm-hmm. Jerusalem, and he he uh, cur- he goes into the temple, and he drives the people out of the mm-hmm. temple, and he gives these sayings from Isaiah fifty six. My house will be a house mm-hmm. of prayer. There's Isaiah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there it is. So I, Isaiah, I knew it. I, Isaiah fifty six, and then uh, from uh, Jeremiah seven mm. eleven, you have this uh, uh, den of robbers. So what Jesus does is he brings these two passages together as scripture and he says this is why i drove these people out mm. okay and then you have the conclusion of the fig tree story uh jesus and the disciples are walking by the fig tree mm. the next morning and there the fig tree is withered all right mm. so so this is called intercalation where you have the starting of one story another story is inserted inserted in mm-hmm. and then the the first story is concluded that's intercalation it's a sandwich kind of structure mm-hmm. And what scholars tell us is that in that kind of structure, the point, you you interpret the two stories one in light of the other. Mm -hmm. So the cursing the fig tree has something to do with the temple. Yeah. All right. So if I can make it as simple as possible, at least one dimension of it. Uh, If you go and you look at the broader context of Isaiah 56, this passage that Jesus mentions in Jeremiah 7, Mm -hmm. what you find is in Jeremiah 7, for instance, is this is a temple sermon. And what has happened is, is in Jeremiah's day, uh, the people in the temple, the leaders of the temple, are like a den of robbers. They're, they're leading the people in the wrong way. They're living ungodly lives. And what God says is, if you will repent, you can stay in the land. Mm. But if you don't repent, you're going to be like a... Like, and he goes on in chapter 8, and he gives this illustration of a fig tree... Mm that the Lord God comes to and there's no there's no mm-hmm. figs on the fig tree. And he says this is what this is what Judah is like. Mm-hmm. It's like me coming to find fruit mm-hmm. and there's no fruit there. And in that whole passage what you have is God says the consequence is going to be a couple of different things. One thing is I'm going to strike the land and I'm going to curse the land and the trees mm-hmm. of the land. 
and I am going mm-hmm. to cast you out oh. of the land. And you have that repeated yeah. in a couple of different pa- places. In fact, in chapter 8 of Jeremiah, verses 13, 14, 15, you have the empty fig tree and then God uh, basically casting them out of the land. In the, mm-hmm. in the Greek version of the Old Testament especially, that's really prominent. Mm-hmm. So what I think is happening here is the fig tree and... Jesus' temple action of driving people out of the temple are both prophetic, symbolic actions Mm -hmm. saying this is the judgment that God is bringing. He has found fruitlessness here, and therefore the Lord God is going to drive you out, you leaders, you ungodly leaders. Mm -hmm. He's going to drive you out of this temple and this place. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happens in A.D. 70. When the Romans come, if you read Josephus' account of what happens with the destruction of the temple, mm-hmm. the destruction of Jerusalem, dismantling of the walls, the Romans take off, take off the temple furniture and everything and carry it to Rome, just like mm-hmm. the Babylonians had done, mm-hmm. taking off the temple stuff. So in essence, on the negative side, the judgment side, you have Jesus basically saying there's going to be a redo Mm. Uh, it's not the same kind of exile that you have with Babylon because mm. you already have the Jewish diaspora and all this kind of stuff. But what Josephus tells us is that after the destruction of the temple, the Romans cart thousands of people off to Egypt to work in the mines. They they send uh, captives around the Mediterranean world to, mm-hmm. to, to fight in the gladiatorial games. They take about Ooh. 700 handsome young men to walk and march in the triumph, the, the uh, celebration uh-huh. parade in 71 that Titus had. Yeah. Uh, and then you... You know, so you have a devastated land. Yeah. And so what Jesus is doing, it's kind of a proleptic, uh, symbolic action of uh-huh. the judgment that will come and happen uh-huh. 40 years later. Now, real quickly, the other side of the coin is Isaiah's uh, f- has a withered tree image as well. Mm-hmm. In the same context of the passage where Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. Mm-hmm. He, he says this in Isaiah 56.3, and scholars really haven't picked up on this. Isaiah 56.3 says, Let not the eunuch say, I am a withered tree. Hmm. Uh, let not the alien say, the Gentiles, mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. who are outside, mm. let not the alien say, I have no place in the house of the Lord. Mm. Because mm-hmm. the eunuch and the alien will be insiders in yeah. my house. And the eunuch who is fruitless yeah. is going to have a name better than the name of sons and daughters. So you have not only the judgment side of what's going on here, but you also have the flip side Uh of of hope of the eschatological temple that Jesus is going to build, of the eschatological people, whereas the negative judgment side is you will be driven out. The eschatological hope is that in what Jesus is doing, Jesus is bringing us to the real Jerusalem. He's bringing us to the eschatological temple. Mm. And those who, in his day, were outsiders are going to be the insiders Mm -hmm. in the temple. Mm. Um, And so what happens with us as a church? We are the temple Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the living God. Uh, Jews and Gentiles together, we are uh, in Christ. We are the new temple um, where we are insiders in the house of God. And it's a house of prayer. Mm. Mm -hmm. And Mm. um, it's, it's kind of kind of awesome to think about oh, the fact that the temple's not in one place yeah. mm-hmm. uh, thousands of miles from here you have the temple here in Vancouver you have the temple in Sao Paulo oh. mm. you have the temple in Qingdao yeah. China you have the temple in Frankfurt Germany mm-hmm. uh, 
in London, England, mm. even in Tennessee, where I even used to be. Even in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Even in Sydney. Uh, even in Sydney. In Cochabamba. In Cochabamba. Oh, come on. So people can. So the point is, people can experience. The very presence of God, yeah. the place where heaven meets earth, they experience that all over the world mm-hmm. uh, in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was beautiful. This is one of those moments again where I wish these mics weren't attached to us cord because then we could do a little. Mic <laughs> drop. <laughs> well, this is so much fun. <laughs> yeah. thanks, love, George. I thanks lo- for letting us ask you all those questions. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. I love. I love uh, who we are here at Regent. Because yeah. just sitting around talking about this stuff, <laughs> this is just kind of what we do, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> All the time. So All come the... to Regent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. George, thanks so much for your time. We'll, um, we'll get you back for the last – let's get him back for the last five questions. We'll get him back oh. for yeah. something. <laughs> Love sure. it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks, Appreciate George. it. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net. <laughs>